The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome once again to NDE Radio with me, Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening by podcast, on TalkZone, or through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel. Today we bring you a remarkable story of tragic loss and sacred gain. As a beloved two-year-old boy named Griffin, a little child with a spiritual maturity of an angel, shared his dying with Darren, his father, to save his parents from a life of heartbreak, anger, and further suffering. This is also a story about the spiritual importance of family life and forgiveness, like no other I can remember presenting here on NDE Radio. Darren, his wife, Jennifer, daughter, Elena, and son, Dylan, live in central Pennsylvania, where they run a family business going back more than 50 years. Darren grew up not really knowing God or wanting anything to do with Christianity after watching Christians behave as some of the worst people he encountered. And when his oldest son, Dylan, was growing up, he prohibited him from going to church with his friends, despite Dylan asking to go. He also fought with his wife as she searched for churches after Griffin was born, telling her she was chasing the invisible man. Darren had a lot of agitation and anger in his heart. He would frequently lash out at others with little regard for severing relationships or friendships. Jennifer was pretty much at the end of her rope and had been counseled to file for divorce. Then their beloved Griffin got sick, and while he was on hospital life support, he passed away in his parents' arms. About little Griffin, his mother, Jennifer, writes, Griffin was an observer, a watcher of things, and extremely content. He brought unimaginable joy to his family. Griffin's short life impacted more people in two years than most could wish for in a lifetime. Griffin's life and what happened to his dad during his final hours continues to impact people today to come closer and rest in the hope of Jesus. I thought it might be helpful to listeners with family relationship problems or suffering from the loss of a child themselves to have Jennifer herself describe the state of their family before the miracle happened. So Jennifer Ham, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you. It's good to have you here. And thank you for doing this part of the show, which in some ways is the most difficult. Uh, t- tell, us, uh, tell us the state of your family before, uh, before Griffin's departure. Darren and I had been married for quite a few years, and it was a difficult marriage. It was getting more difficult as time was going on. Uh, Darren, like you explained, was very agitated all the time. He had a lot of stress on him with work, and he was just angry. He lacked forgiveness. He lashed out at people regularly. There was more times than not that he... I was always walking on eggshells when Darren was around. He would get in an altercation at the grocery store. He had told off every single member of my family from one point or another. And it was just very, very difficult to live with Darren at that time. Wow. And uh, then, of course, Griffin's uh, uh, sickness didn't help at all. I mean, that would have been totally upsetting under any circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. 
we were basically in shock at what had transpired because Griffin was just completely healthy. He had never been sick a day in his life. Mm. And we had had him to numerous doctors and just were really shocked to find ourselves where we were in the hospital dealing with what we were. Yeah, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I wonder if um, you could talk a little about um, your, your experience and the good advice from your counselor, because after, after uh, Darren had the benefit of a have a shared death experience. Yeah. You had the story of that, but not, and, but not the blessing of it as, as such. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you, you, you continued to go to a counselor and be depressed until he gave you some good advice that you followed. So tell us about yeah. that. Yes. This counselor was actually the same counselor we had seen for our marriage. He was a Christian counselor. And um, when we showed up there after this had happened, he was like, knew that we had already had problems. Um, but Ironically, at that point, that was our marriage was the least of our problems. We weren't there really for that at all. Mm. And we had been going and I mean, I feel like I reached a point. I'm not real good with times, but it could have been a year or two after Griffin passed. And I was just growing frustrated with just being very I didn't have the I still lacked forgiveness and all those things. And you know, he he really changed my life because at one point it had been quite a while into counseling. He said to me, listen, nothing I say to you is going to make what you went through any less tragic. What you went through was the worst thing a family could go through. And nothing I say is going to make it not so. He said, but do you have any blessings in your life? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, what are they? You know, he really put me on the spot. And he really wanted me to list my blessings. And, you know, I had talked to him about praying and I would just laundry list everything that was awful. And he said, you know, I just encourage you, you need to count your blessings and thank God for them every day, because if you don't, you're going to lose those as well. And he just really counseled me to start my prayer with Thanksgiving. And after a few weeks, I feel like it really changed my mindset in my life. So. I was happy about that. Yeah. And it was just about two years after uh, Griffin passed that your daughter yeah. was born. Yes. Yes. Talk about a, a blessing. Yes. It was a real blessing. I was 37 years old at the time, so I was not really expecting for it to be that easy when it wasn't <laughs> Griffin. But yeah. yes, we've had a lot of blessings in the midst of the tragedy. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for yeah, setting this, the stage for for the shared death experience that happened between Griffin and Darren. I so, like to uh, set it up. So we know you got to know the before to understand the magnitude of the after. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank, so you. thank you. Yeah. So now let me welcome Griffin's father, Darren Ham. Yes. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to NDE radio. Yes. Thank you, Lee. So, so Darren, it was uh, a January day in 2011. And Griffin had been on life support for four days when you were told by medical staff that his situation was hopeless and that within the next 24 hours, they proposed disconnecting him from life support. Uh, what was your reaction, the first reaction to that? Yeah, so I had watched the examination. It was a brain death examination yes. where they inflict pain uh, to get a 
response. And there was no response. Uh, so I just, I was glued to it, just really hoping there'd be some response because it wasn't just cut and dry. There was moments where I thought he was going to be okay. And uh, he was not. So after the exam, uh, they said it would be 12 to 24 hours um, mandatory and they would um, be disconnecting him. Uh, so at that uh, moment, I, I just didn't want to, every time someone entered the room, wonder if this, this is what they're here to do. Uh, so I asked them for a specific time, uh, which was 4.30 uh, in the afternoon the next day. And they, they agreed to that. So, so we knew the time that we had left. Right. And uh, which was a, only the only sensible thing to do. I don't know why they didn't know that themselves. But, <laughs> and then I guess they gave you both parents the permission to, to lie down with, with uh, Griffin. Yes, they, he was wrapped in all sorts of medical apparatus. Uh, so he had a bandage on his head that held um, these um, sensors to monitor his brain activity. So they, they unwrapped him and, and um, clean, cleaned him, cleaned him up good and said, you know, the next 24 hours, you can, you can lay down with him. Mm. Uh, so, um, so we did. And in fact, Jen, Jen did. And she laid with him for hours and hours and hours, probably eight hours. And um, I just observed and uh, tried to make sense of everything. And uh, she, she said, oh, look, I've spent so much time. Um, I feel like I've hogged him. Uh, why, don't, why, don't you, why don't you lay down with him? Hmm. Yeah, that's when it started. <laughs> yeah. And um, so you lay down with him, and then you, I guess you got up again because you felt like you weren't able to comfort him. Is that right? Yes, yeah, so I laid down with him for a half an hour, and uh, it was it – was, not good. It, it was, it was, it was dark. It, it was utter darkness. Even the room seemed dark. Everything seemed dark. And I, um, I wasn't man enough to comfort him. So I, after a half an hour, initially, I couldn't take anymore. And I sat in a chair and looked at him and would just beat myself up. Uh, or like, why, why can't you comfort your son? Who's only got, uh, 14 hours left and uh, you really need to toughen up. You need to toughen up. So I would try again. Uh, and that each time I, it didn't get more, it got less. I had less strength each time. And the third time, um, the third time that's, uh, that's when things happened. Uh, and I guess you made contact with him. Touched his hair. Yeah, so right when I laid down with him, I uh, grabbed his uh, his hand like a handshake, my right hand. I, I grabbed his right hand like a handshake. Mm. And I uh, said to him, I said, son, I, I never even got to teach you how to shake hands. And I touched his head. And at that moment, I, I left the earth. Wow. Yes. And you were with Griffin. He was leaving with you or he was leading. Yes. I, I was instantly transported to heaven and 
and uh, he was smiling at me, and I, I just couldn't believe what was happening. And he he was looking at me. Uh, his uh, his his uh, right hand was out. Uh, he was just ab- above me and forward of me, and his hand was re- reached back, uh, holding my uh, holding my left hand, and we were, we were traveling, and uh, we we were moving. The the moving was different, though. It was more like levitating uh and we, we were moving it felt like 60 miles an hour but no wind it was just peacefully gliding and he was looking back at me with just this bright smile just so with just gleaning so much excitement uh, he was just so excited and i was at uh, at total peace I, I couldn't believe i was getting this moment with him uh, totally alive more than alive and uh, he would he would look away from me, and I wouldn't be doing well instantly. I would not be doing well, and he would look back, and everything was okay. And the third time he looked away, I I thought I was going to get sick, and I remember thinking again, "You need to toughen up. This is a rare. This is such a precious rare moment." Uh, to be with your son, I never thought it would happen again. And and at at that moment when I thought, "Don't get sick," he looked back at me and kind of chuckled. And I I knew that he knew my thoughts at that point, and he he had sent to me, not necessarily audibly, more uh, telepathically. He sent to me, "You're not sick." Like, like, like I was goofy for thinking that I was sick Mm. and I knew everything that that meant. And I, I was aware instantly that I had intelligence there that I don't have here. You know, I don't know scientifically what the, they say the use of the brain is, but I knew I had, I had full use of my brain. So when he said, you're not sick. I knew every shade of what that meant. I, I knew physically. I, I knew spiritually. I knew everything that that meant. I knew that I was outside of pain. I was totally void of any suffering whatsoever. And I couldn't translate until they told me uh, what what was going on, that I was having painlessness and a total painlessness it sounds like when he smiled at you when he turned his face to you you could feel the love not only his love but god's love oh that 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 is what communicated with me uh and that was what griffin had communicated was you're not sick and i knew all the shades and i knew also what it didn't mean um but then the atmosphere, I, I couldn't see anything. I could only see blue. I could see blue and I could see my son. And I could not see anything else. But the atmosphere um, was just this blue. I wore this sweater today uh, because of the blue. Uh, <laughs> it was this, a special shade of blue that just totally encompassed me with with such love that was so profound 
that I I don't I don't find it describable. Uh, I, I I can only say the most loving human you've ever met wouldn't reach the radar on the love that just encompassed me everywhere, just saturated. I, I couldn't, I, I, I'm choking up just, ooh, just even considering it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, beyond words, beyond words, especially a guy like, like me. Coming from an atheist background like you. Everything. This must have been. What was your first thought when you uh, first left your body? Did you have, I mean, did you felt have a philosophical, uh, uh, I don't know, awakening? No, I was mostly just focused on the unbelievability uh, that I was getting to communicate with Griffin. And he was alive in the flesh. After all that wretchedness, uh, especially the brain death exam was just horrid. Um, Just horrid that after there was no hope, the hope had just begun. (laughs) The the hope was just getting started. (laughs) At the point, there was no hope. So I was just focused on that until the atmosphere got me. And and then the atmosphere, uh, uh, which was God, uh, was communicating with me. Now, you had a, a life review of sorts, didn't you? Even yes, though you, yes. you weren't the one that was dying, but you but you had a life review. Tell us about that. Yes, er, early on, uh, right after Griffin uh, gave me the you're not sick, uh, uh, I immediately went from painlessness to the love of God. And in that love of God, I, I could see glimpses of things, uh, which were... Uh, were were done very lovingly, very lovingly, mm. but very sternly. Um, they were unnegotiable. <laughs> they were absolute truth. And I saw myself, I had fired an employee that week, and, and I could see the situation clearly. But I could see, again, every shade of the situation where on earth, uh, in business, it 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 was justifiable, um, totally, and that's how I saw things. I didn't see things any other way until I had that life review, and I could see that situation, and I could see, undoubtedly, God, even though I didn't believe in Him, working in my life, and I could see myself really messing things up. And I could see myself and and not just this employee, but everyone in my life. I, I could see myself just using them for self, just my own selfish purposes. And I could see what was supposed to happen. And I could see how he was bringing all these people into my life for me to care for them, not to further usefulness. To, to to care for them and love them and, and, and help them. And I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing it. So what seemed right on earth 
in my own eyes, was very wrong, very wrong. Yes, and it was clear, but totally loving in the way it was done. Totally loving. You said, I think, at one point that um, you had all sorts of knowledge downloaded to you, but you were only allowed to bring back certain certain items. But yes, yeah, time to time. At that point, did you have a feeling for eternity and time? Those those big questions. Yes, I, I could see time. Uh, I could. I was. I knew I was outside of time. I knew that supernaturally that I was outside of time and I could see Griffin. I I could see him at two years old and I could see at two years old, what he had accomplished was, was immense more than most people would ever accomplish. And I I could see if you live to a hundred years old or, or just till two years old that and where I was, there was utterly no difference. Uh, really just no difference in that period of time uh, in, in encompassed with all of eternity. Uh, not much difference, mm. not much difference. And I could see, and you know, I haven't even really spoke this before. I could see all of life as a, just a spark, just a quick flame in and out. Just so, I remember when I was back that I thought, wow, we better make good use of our time here. Um, there's not much, there's not much time. We don't, none of us have much time. Mm. So yes, the eternity was, was utterly clear, although really hard to explain. All the things that I was learning were very hard to explain. Very hard to explain. Minus the selfishness. <laughs> that's easy to explain. <laughs> yes. Um, that's wretched. And um, yeah. uh, the other things were difficult to explain, like the love of God, the absence of time. Very, very difficult. But you had the sense that you understood it at that time. Oh, I understood it absolutely clearly crystal clear with no exception there was really not a mystery no mystery at all the mystery was solved <laughs> and yeah. and w- while you were only seeing blue uh you said that griffin was seeing other things yes it was clear to me at one point uh about halfway that i thought wow i believe he's he's been here and he knows things that I don't know. It, it, it is if he had been there forever, really. Mm-hmm. And I was just, just there. And I, I knew when we were traveling that we were passing through beauty that was majestic. However, I couldn't see it, but I, could, I, I, I sensed deeply that he could sense it or see it. And I believe we we were heading to a destination. We we were just aimlessly traveling, like it seemed to me. Uh, we were just passing through blue. Um, and I knew we had a destination. 
And I think you also said that um, Griffin was trying to introduce you to someone. Yes. Yes. At the very end, he, he paused. I, I, I don't, I don't think he knew that I couldn't see. I thought, I think he knew, he thought I could see everything that he was seeing. And at this point he knew then that I couldn't see and that he was so excited to introduce me to obviously Jesus that, that, uh, that was the purpose. And he, he then knew that I couldn't see him and he paused and looked away from me and I couldn't hear what was said, uh, but he had communicated with Griffin. So I, I think he, he asked Griffin, now's the time to ask. Yes. Yeah. And then he asked you a, a big question. Yes. Yeah. He asked me the biggest question I think a parent could be asked. And I knew uh, when he asked, can I stay? I, I, I was certain I could say no. And I was certain that he would be back. And I also knew I could say yes, and he wouldn't be. I uh, didn't say either yes or no. I, I looked at him and I said, wow. Hmm. Wow. It was beyond yes. Well beyond yes. In, in being there and just wrapped in the love of God outside of pain and suffering. It's pretty hard to be pretty hard to come back. Well, and that was, that was your love for him coming through because how could you deny him the love of God by saying no? Yeah. So it was clear then that, that Jesus loved my son more than I could ever possibly uh, 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 more than uh, more than possible for any parent to love their child. And we're all loved. I was loved that deeply. Yes, we all are. And I guess that the word wow was the, what brought you back. Yes, that was the final thing, right when I said, wow, and looked at him as, of course, you can stay. Then I was immediately back, and I was shaking his hand, uh, and my hand was on his head. And I remember I looked at the, I looked at the clock, and it was uh, 3.34 in the morning. So, so then um, that that had not uh, the peace that I had had not left though. A lot of the the communications and, and memories I had didn't leave. In fact, many many still haven't. And uh, now he was uh, there. He was going to be on life support for uh, another. 13 hours, I guess. 
Do you feel that his soul, though, had remained in heaven at that point? Yeah, so it was clear. It it was it was it was certain to me being back. Uh, I, I, after I had looked at the time, I, I immediately looked at the time as how much time is left uh, because it seemed. I really don't know the words for this. It seemed not right uh, to to leave him, his body, plugged in, really. Uh, so when the time had come, uh, we had a wonderful uh, minister, a Luther minister, come and uh, preside over over everything. And... I I remember whence they unplugged him. I remember just having this, just so much peace. I was actually able to comfort the minister who was pretty shook up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's just over this overwhelming peace, but that is maintained really. Um, mm-hmm. Really it's maintained. I, I didn't know how things would go. Uh, if that was just a moment, like other moments, you kind of forget about it. Or it wears off, but that's that's not what happened. Uh, it was a, eleven years ago, and it it does not wear off. Uh, but uh, when they had unplugged him, um, I immediately scooped him up and put him in the bed, and and was ready to go talk to the family and and uh, the nurses and everyone who were so wonderful there. Uh, we're like, oh no, stay, stay. You can, you can be with him, and yes. I, I had no desire uh, because I knew where he was. Right. How soon after you got back did you tell Jennifer what you'd seen? You know, um, that is a good question. All I talked about for about a week was was I, I, I could only really utter uh, one of the most precious things I'd learned there. Uh, something I learned for here that's eternal, and it was a selflessness. It was, it was love and relationships. Um, if you talk to my wife, uh, she said I probably talked about that endlessly. <laughs> this is all about love and relationships. Uh, those things, those things maintain. And in I, I, I even remember going back to heaven. Um, I remember just being in that love that was so deep that I could picture my most bitter enemies on earth and how I could spend all of eternity with them, um, endlessly just loving them and, and uh, talking with them and sitting with them and how easily and enjoyable uh, that would be. We're on earth a little harder, but, but not so difficult uh, with with that change with that change did you get at that time or do you have now a feeling that there's something um a relationship in family that transcends uh, our life on earth that continues after we're gone a relationship in family yeah you know, I, I I just knew that not just in family though, but in friendships with just even slight acquaintances. Right. Uh, that it's an interconnectedness, uh, an absolute interconnectedness. 
some people who believe in reincarnation talk about family members being reincarnated into the same family, but with different roles. The father would be the daughter or the mother would be the sister or in other words, to play out all of those connections. I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, I didn't see that there. Uh, no, no. Not at all. Um, so how soon did Jennifer notice that you changed? Instantly. Uh, she would be the one to talk to on that. Uh, <laughs> everybody was really shook. Uh, when I came out in the, the waiting room, uh, everyone was there. Family was there. Friends were there. It was, it was just packed. And, and I, I was so strong that I was able to, I was giving speeches about how this is all about love and relationships and, and how this, that moment, um, would change things forever. And it didn't have to be bad. And. It- Knowing knowing the way you'd been, did they think you'd lost your mind? Uh, most of them converted immediately. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Where my father uh, was was really a John Wayne type character. I, I don't know why I was so brutish uh, and a fighter. I'd always just been, and uh, he was like a John Wayne character where he was so strong. And so loving, uh, they had adopted me, and uh, both both my parents were just so so strong and and loving, uh, but not not in a weak kind of way. Um, he was he was a real man, but he unfortunately uh, was raised uh, very poorly. Uh, that's I think where a little bit came from. Uh, his mother was a very very cruel uh, Christian. And actually had kicked him out of the house. He was young, very young, and was just kind of lived on the street and made his way. And so uh, he immediately, uh, the very, well, I think of just a couple days had gone by. And, uh, well, we went to church (laughs) as a family, all of us. Wow. Just in that change in moment, um, a lot of it was just so profound uh, that I changed because people knew me. I don't know how the story sounds or comes off, uh, but if you knew me, um, everyone kind of knew that the person that was responsible uh, wasn't going to end up too good and for the opposite to happen. It was uh, made believers out of my entire family. Uh, at some point after this, you more or less took a year off from work to read the Bible and and uh, do gardening. Yeah, it was probably actually closer to two. Uh, I have really just I just always had to be outside, and I had um, gone to the store and bought a Bible, and I just read it and read it and read it until I couldn't read anymore, and then I would I would do some farming. And a deal of people had to deal with me from from work. They came to my house, had me sign payroll or or whatever. Uh, but I couldn't get enough. Uh, I I just had to know because I knew nothing. I didn't know, like you would see John three sixteen, but I had no idea what that even meant. Um, 
So I, I read and read and read and had a pastor tell me what to read next. And I would just read it, but I, it was different than reading. I, I knew just based on the backdrop of what I had experienced, I, I could read it and know some things that weren't obvious uh, because I had already experienced so deeply some truths, some of eternity and the, the love of God. Like I, although I, I find it difficult to explain, I know in such depth what it means. So, yes, I just had to, get to, I had to know every detail, every detail. <laughs> you mentioned your father and uh, the John Wayne quality of his nature, but there's an interesting story about the time he died that you might tell us too. Yes, it had been three years since Griffin had passed. And he and I both kind of were in the same. And we spent a lot of time together. In fact, we had always just really kind of had more of a business relationship. And and we became just so deeply entrenched father and son that I couldn't get enough of him. I just always wanted to be around him. And uh, I had been hunting and my wife uh, was at my parents' house and said, Darren, you need to, you need to get over here right away. Uh, your father can't get out of bed. So I, I went over and he thought his back was out. So I got him dressed and, and, and got him to the hospital. And they told him, uh, Fred, you haven't been to the doctor in 47 years, <laughs> not even for a physical. And uh, you're diabetic and you, know, you must not have any feelings left uh, in your heart because you've you had a heart attack. So the doctor told me that it was not, uh, he wasn't able to operate and uh, without it being fatal. And they would try to get him to a point where they could. So I spent a few days uh, with him and they were going to operate. And, but he had some fluid on his lungs and they, they couldn't. And, and I stayed with him till late. And I went home to get a couple hours sleep. And I told him, you know, I'll be back at five in the morning. And... And uh, they had called shortly after I got home that he had had a major heart attack and need, needed uh, resuscitated. So I took off uh, midnight for the hospital and I could still hear his voice rumble uh, the hallway. It was at the whole other end and I could hear him voice just rumble down the hall. All right. Uh, when they buzzed me in, <laughs> hey, bud. And I said, hey, dad, I'm going to pray and and uh, you rest because they're still going to operate, I confirmed. And, and he fell right to sleep. And in the morning, in the morning, uh, the, his doctor came in. It was supposed to operate and told him he wasn't going to. So my dad uh, said, you're not going to be the guy that kills me. Go out in the hall and get release papers. I'll go home and die. And so <laughs> he, uh, he looked at me sheepishly like, you know, am I in trouble? And I said, Dad, if you want me to take you home, I'll take you home. But then he he could feel and uh, a major heart attack had come. A lot like you would see kind of in a movie. Uh, it was very dramatic. And uh, uh, the, I yelled and the blue lights started going off and people were grabbing me and trying to rip me away from him, but I wouldn't leave him. 
because uh, I had left the Met once and immediately something bad happened. So I uh, stayed there with my mom and this nice uh, Catholic priest had come over and and was uh, pulling at me to leave like he was trying to be slick about it. Uh, but I had been praying. Uh, not, nothing. I was just praying the 23rd Psalm. It was such a tense moment that I, I couldn't even think straight. And that's the only thing I could think of. So I would just repeat the 23rd Psalm. And I told the priest to stop talking to me. I come praying. So, oh, so a lot of time had gone by. A lot of time. About, you know, a half an hour. It was about a half an hour in. And and I knew my dad, and I knew he had given his heart to Christ so deeply that I, I found he, I knew he was going to be okay. And I remember in a half an hour, I yelling, "Stop! Just stop! Please stop!" Because it, it was it was brutal. Um, but they didn't they didn't stop. And another hour and fifteen minutes had gone by, and it had been an hour and forty five minutes of this and they just stopped and everyone cleared the room the main doctor uh, the head of cardiology uh came over to me and said look i could hear i could hear you praying and and i i i hate to be rude to you but i need to be honest she said maybe four minutes maybe four minutes uh your father could have made it but he's brain dead and he always will be so if there's someone here uh, to would like to say goodbye, it's time to do that quickly, and um, it's it's time for this to be done. So I said, I understand, I understand, and I went and got my wife, and she was the only one there, and she went into the room, and boy, she was only gone for a minute, and uh, came right back to me, and said, "You're not going to believe it. Your dad his hand moved. Uh, your mom had said." Uh, 50 years of marriage this year, Fred. It would have been 50 years. And and I, I, I went into the room, and the main doctor there was um, was giving my mom the same talk about nerves and how that works and maybe a couple minutes, but this is hopeless. And I, I listened to her, and well, I, something had just come over me. And the Holy Spirit, apparently, because uh, I screamed in front of the priest and the doctor and my mom. And I screamed, uh, Dad, you died. Are you with Jesus? And his eyes opened right up and he started looking at me. And he squeezed, <laughs> squeezed my hand for yes. <laughs> looked over at my mom and squeezed her hand once for yes. And, and um, looked back at me. And the doctor just started yelling out loud, oh, my God, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And the priest started talking to her because he was a real talkative guy and uh, was saying, uh, I've never, 15 years, I've never witnessed this miracle. And <laughs> and uh, they were talking, he kept talking. And my dad was looking at me and I said some oddest things. I, it just made no sense. Uh, but I said, could you see the prayer in heaven? And he squeezed my hand once for yes and looked over at my mom and did that too. Um, he verified like you were hearing our prayers. So, and he looked back at me again. 
And I said, Dad, was uh, Griffin with you and Jesus? And he started getting out of bed. And uh, <laughs> he, he sat right up, and I stopped him. I was like, no, Dad, they, they really broke you up bad. So the doctor grabs me and uh, rips me off and says, no, this is a real miracle. Let him go. And uh, he sat up and shook his head, uh, you know, up and down for yes. And looked at my mom and did it again. And then there was, a, you know, a little bit of other communication, no more questions or answers. But uh, uh, he asked me to have him operate. And uh, he had made it through the operation, but all that CPR he had succumbed to, uh, his blood pressure wouldn't restabilize. But uh, rest assured, I know where he is. <laughs> he came back and told me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you shouted quite loudly, I take it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was not a normal thing to do. <laughs> well, no, not in hospital protocol, but uh, no. in uh, some churches. That, <laughs> yes. that kind of shout works very well indeed. Um. Now, you came back with some gifts, and uh, I wonder if you could tell us about about some of that. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, one gift that uh, some normal ones and one, one not so normal. Um, shortly after I was back, I think it was the same, like immediately went to the store for a Bible. I had run across the audio, uh, an audio book. And it was by a name, uh, a man named uh, Bill Weiss. And it was titled 23 Minutes in Hell. And I, I listened to the entire audiobook. It was very long. But when I could hear it, what he had experienced was exactly the opposite of me. And, but there were such similarities. The time was similar. Um, the sense of feeling, um, I, I didn't share that earlier, but my sense of feeling was a thousandfold what I could what I could feel on earth. Like the best you could feel on earth, it was a thousand times better in uh, in heaven. And and he was explaining his vision. It was a vision, I guess. And but it was the opposite. But he could feel more and but it wasn't good and and the hottest thing happened the lord had showed me right immediately suicide and and just showed me how to deliver someone of of the deception of suicide uh so yes that was a that was a gift that I guess I wanted gift, uh, but it was very effective uh, because I started, he, not I, he started to have my life intersect people in active suicides or would tell me supernaturally uh, when someone was going to do that, but gave me also the courage uh, to deal with it. Uh, So, yes, that was that that was a gift that was a gift and he has used that quite a quite quite frequently quite frequently i think you said you 
helped perhaps a hundred suicide tending people? Yeah, there's had to be, I never, it's not something I would ever want to keep track of, but I, there's been definitely probably over a hundred. I can't even recall them all. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's there definitely been a hundred, definitely been a hundred. And, uh, so far, uh, one, only one, but one is a lot, uh, had, had completed, had, uh, had done that. And I, I just heard that uh, two weeks ago. Um, yeah. So. And I think you told me that you'd tried to uh, pass the skill on to some other folks, but they haven't been able to uh, no. act no. in the same, in the same way. No. And I can never make sense of that on why, because it's really nothing on the very beginning is, is a little bit of just, you know, loving and forming a relationship and maybe God will speak to you a little something. Uh, that will help. Uh, but the process is all the same. And, and really, it, it really boils down to love and, and courage, I suppose, a little bit of courage, uh, because, you know, who would want to, who would want to, to tell people what I have to tell them, um, that there are no shortcuts to heaven. And you have to finish the race. It's, it's just not like I don't know if people are teaching this or what. I I don't know where it's coming from, but I know it's a deception and I know it's demonic. I know for a fact that it is demonic. And um yeah, it's very simple, very simple to do. You you want me to speak more about it? Well, I do, and I was thinking perhaps we might uh continue on another show where we talk uh, about suicide and um and it may it crosses my mind of course ndes are my thing but crosses my mind that this the sureness that you have having been on the other side during this lifetime may be the thing that persuades uh, most effectively the the person that that you're saying no you don't want to do this that you know what you're talking about because you've seen the alternative you've seen this, this the source of love and you've seen yeah. the ability to get there if you do it the right way if you work at doing it the right way and so yeah. that kind of conviction that a, a near-death experiencer has might be um a reason for you to recruit some nde ears to um to the task of talking oh i would science. love to do that i would just really love to do that you know yeah. how we met with a woman uh, if I may say quick, uh, there's this wonderful woman who's only lived where we lived just very briefly. And she was a child psych. And she had remembered uh, what my conversion, um, although I had only met her really twice, uh, it stuck with her. And she asked me to talk about it because honestly, what I've told you, Lee, it's not something I talk about. Um, so she put it out and uh, she, she uh, is struggling mightily. Uh, uh, with this onslaught of even children doing this. Even last week, uh, a co-worker of hers, uh, he went home from work and his son had done it at 14 years old. There's so much suicide these days. And in the military, from PTSD and uh, kids who can't get off of drugs, uh, it's, it's 
and and of course overdoses which are you know perhaps unintentional superficially but may contain the seed of suicide in them yes wow well i think we've just about reached the end of our time here today but why don't we plan on getting together next week and doing another show that will discuss suicide and perhaps we can get some folks out there who've had near-death experiences to get in touch with you and let you know that they'd be interested in working with you on that oh that'd be spectacular there needs to really be soldiers on the battlefield on this and it's so simply done it just takes some courage and love yeah well very good tell folks how they could get in touch with you and jennifer you have an email i know you can share yeah we have an email and we're just two people. Darren runs a business. I'm just a mom at home. So it's not like we have an organization doing this. So people can get in touch with us, but I can't promise we'll be able to get back to everybody. But the email they can contact us at is ledbythesun, S-O-N, at yahoo.com. Ledbythesun at yahoo.com. I love that name, especially... Mm-hmm. <laughs> with both Griffin and, and Jesus. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Being sons. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you both so much. Thank, Thank you. you. I look forward to, to doing this again next week. Yeah. Sounds good. If listeners would like to hear the show again or any of our more than 400 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button. Or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio library. And be sure to like, follow, and share our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search for NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at TalkZone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.